AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track. Ganesh, I've been hearing a lot about this new widespread IoT vulnerability. What do you think about it? As you said, John, this is really widespread and seems to be really concerning about the way, basically, the way it came up. Uh, it's been found by some of the researchers from JSOF, who is based out of Israel, and they are conducting this research since September 19th of last year. And while they're doing it, they could be able to find out about 19 zero-day vulnerabilities in one specific TCPIP library. Uh, what is this library does? So who, what is the company? Uh, the library is basically developed by a company, in, a company by name Track, uh, who is based out of uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, what they do is uh, they basically provide distributing and real-time supporting and even um, basically embedded internet protocols to various top-of-the-line vendors all across the globe. What they do is uh, they offer these uh, IoT-based embedded-related so um, embedded solutions, which they have TCPIP as well as UDP-based stacks. Uh, this specific flaws exists in TCPIP flaw library, and uh, this library has been used since 90s, so since the existence of this company. That means we are looking at uh, about 20 plus years so worth of vulnerabilities still lurking around. And by their, uh, the researchers estimates, it seems, uh, it seems, I think uh, it's been used by hundreds of millions of devices. If you consider uh, they're being used in power grids, medical devices like uh, heart infusion pumps, uh, home devices like home routers, uh, smart home devices like maybe uh, smart refrigerators, uh, even aviation industry, you, you name it, everybody has some sort of this library in one form or the other. Why? Because they're giving the product with this library embedded, and these vendors, they kind of embedded with knowingly or unknowingly into their products and maybe in their solutions. That's why this vulnerability has been touted as uh, most critical IoT vulnerability to date. But the good thing is uh, there is the patches available for now, but the effort it took to basically uh, talk with all the vendors and maybe come up with some action plan to address is the most painstaking uh, pathway for the researchers. I think that's the reason they took their time to uh, reveal this to the public internet, but they went with the search CC. When they first approached the search CC, they thought that they're trying to do some sort of extortion or something. When they showed the, the findings and the realities, they came on board and they took the initiation to contacting all the vendors. That's basically, that's because of that one, they're calling it is Ripple 20, even though they're 19, they're calling it Ripple 20. The reason being, uh, even though the flaw or the maybe vulnerability is very minimal, but because of the amplification in the, in the sense, uh, this has been shipped to vendors, vendors are shipping to their customers and various devices from one device to millions and hundreds of millions of devices, which is not easy to track and patch it. That's the reason they're calling it as a ripple effect and with the number 20. I think that's how the name stems from for that. But the, but the interesting fact is that they have patches available and still even the patches are available, it, it, take, it will take some time all the vendors basically patch it basically. It's not only the big vendors, even the small companies also have these kind of libraries 
for example, any small company might have bought a product embedded with specific TCP library, and they are vulnerable too. And uh, there's no, no easy means to contact them and maybe get them to patch to the latest version. That's the hurdle they have facing right now, but uh, uh, patches are available. That's a good thing. Uh, and to complicate things a little bit differently, in 1990s, when this company actually started it, they collaborated with, uh, I think, uh, one Japanese company, and they collaborated for some time, and then later they split and went into their own ways, and they catered to different customers with the same vulnerable library. So it's not only confined to one geo geographical location, it also basically spread it to the Asia pack if you localize to the local to the companies. Even though they have uh, 19 vulnerabilities scheduled and maybe disclosed, they have four vulnerabilities with the CVS score of 10 and 9.8, which are pretty high. I think uh, these are the ones which provides the remote, ca remote code execution vulnerabilities, and that's what actually concerning to the uh, most of the folks because of that remote code execution vulnerability and the way they can hide in the code itself is not easy to detect. I think if anybody know and anybody using this specific library, I think it's time to patch it as quickly as possible to minimize the risk. So is is the I, I know patching IoT is always so much fun because it's hard uh -huh. you know, it's actually do you know and people don't want to do it and they don't realize you know how you can't just force it on there. So I mean, are, are have you heard of any vendors actually taking the initiative to? To do the updates? Well, actually, if we, if we go to in the URL link, they provided uh, by the JSOF. Uh, actually, there are huge list of uh, vendors there. For example, I saw HP and uh, maybe some someone related to aviation. Somebody has already patched it. They have in progress. I think in the mean uh, that meaning that basically they're working on the patch and to determine how how far extent they have to do it. But there are also huge list of uh, vendors or devices or or maybe apps which are in uh, with no state, basically. I think they need to be addressed at some point. Uh, but there's a good mix of uh, vendors and applications who are doing patching, or some very few vendors which already done the patching itself. Uh, and also these researchers are planning to give a Black Hat presentation uh, coming up in a few months, and they're going to present up with the findings, I think, in a little more detail at that conference. I so Black Hat. Probably virtual too. That's going to be interesting. I think that's virtual too. I got a quick question. Uh, with this library, was it free for anyone to just you know grab that that software, those libraries to download it? Therefore, it dilutes the amount of traction they can have on identifying the vendors. Or is it was it always packaged with uh, certain products, and that's how they're able to trace it? Because this is. This is really scary, and if it's being shared elsewhere, that just causes an additional exposure. I think, uh, yeah, that, that's the biggest threat we are talking about right now, because even though it's a simple library, I think it needs to be compiled and packaged and needs to be done. Uh, sometimes uh, the products that these threat companies sold it to the vendors, it came along with them, but the, the vendors also sold their products to maybe install in some devices. That's how I think the attack surface has increased many fold. But, um, but for, to, to your question to answer, Tony, I think it can be done individually also. If somebody knows the know-how, how to compile the library and maybe embed it into their uh, product.
Hey, Tony. Um, you have a story about virus total uh, collaborating with the Cynet from, uh, I think, improved security solutions. Do you want to elaborate a little bit on the story? There was a news article that came out that VirusTotal made the announcement that they're going to integrate their solution with SciNet and basically the one function, uh, mainly SciAI. Now, for those people that are watching that may not be familiar with VirusTotal, it is a, a free platform where you can go, go online to it and submit files or URLs, and VirusTotal will literally scan it uh, bash it against up to 70 different AV scanners. So it, it really gives you a lot of information about those files or the URL and any sort of nefarious behavior behind it. So it's a very versatile tool for threat analytics and various analysts. But what's, what's happening here is uh, they're going to introduce SciAI. And with that, they're going to plug in a whole new level of machine learning and artificial intelligence into what they're currently doing today. Now, with SciAI and SciNet, it's a two-fold environment. So right now, uh, SciNet has a bunch of different endpoints that they have out there. It's, it's a product, and it does a bunch of different things for whoever is using it. So there's, there's a little bit of orchestration in there. Um, it looks at fileless malware, scripts, really anything that is uh, uh, nefarious behavior for an endpoint. On top of that, it introduces this AI function that has a very low false positive rate. It's currently gobbling up numerous data sets out there, and the AI engine is growing. So with introducing that into VirusTotal, you're going to get a whole new level of understanding on what you're submitting, uh, you're going to get uh, more accurate data. In addition to that, since this is core AI, it's not what some of the other vendors that are currently in VirusTotal, where they, they're an endpoint solution, they're security control, and they have mach machine learning and AI involvement. SciNet is core AI. So you're going to get a tremendous amount of learning it's going to start understanding. It's going to pick up user behavior. A lot of different things that maybe some of the endpoint scanners that VirusTotal currently has isn't, you know, up, up to the same speed or same level as SciAI. So this is really going to be um, a very interesting turn on how we're going to see data coming back from, from VirusTotal. So it's, it's definitely something that uh, once I read it, I was really excited about. Um, you know, we use it uh, to, to do all sorts of different analytics, and seeing that it's going to evolve even more is, is definitely going to be something that I'm looking forward to and the people that, that I know are looking forward to as well. So, yeah, it was, it was a really good article. I definitely would recommend uh, picking it up. Uh, you can go to the VirusTotal blog as well as uh, a lot of the different uh, news media outlets that deal with cybersecurity have also picked up on this. I think there's a lot of excitement in, in the cybersecurity field about this, this integration between SciNet and uh, VirusTotal. I'm sure I excited when I read that about this article uh, because I think it kind of gives analysts like us uh, like um, quick response times because of the machine learning and artificial intelligence. I think. Uh, especially finding out in any zero days, any new 
um, spam campaign, I think uh, that will help tremendously in one way to figure it out what's going on. Something is not right here. And maybe yeah. I think uh, Signet will definitely complement the virus stuff. Uh, Absolutely. Um, I digging in the virus total uh, for many, many years now. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the data that you can pull out from it, um, I'm, I'm interested to see what, uh, what the Sci AI, the, the SciNet stuff, what sort of IOCs it's going to come up with, how it's going to de determine if something's uh, nefarious or not. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to playing with it myself. You know, Tony, I know you talked about SciNet and, and Sci AI. I mean, I know virus total, like you said, is, is either free or if you're a partner, sometimes they'll charge you a certain amount of money. Um, you know, or you, you join, right? Um, mm -hmm. Is there a charge for the SIAI add-on, or is it just part of the normal service? That's a really good question, John. Unfortunately, I did not uncover any information that says mm -hmm. that it would be for uh, paid subscriptions or anything okay. like that. What I, what I read basically said it's just going to be an integration. So I'm going to read into that, and my fingers are going to be crossed for it, that it's going to be free for all. Yeah, now, now, as for when it's coming out, um, that wasn't stated in, in the articles that I read, but I'm sure it's out there. Uh, looking mm -hmm. at uh, Virus Total blog, uh, it didn't state it specifically either. It okay. actually was uh, like a couple paragraphs about the features and functionality of SciNet and mm -hmm. SciAI, but it didn't give me a release date. Yeah. I feel like a Virus Total fanboy now. When's it coming <laughs> out? So, John, um, I heard you're going to be talking about one of my favorite subjects, and that would be email security and phishing. Uh, yeah, we, we should have probably saved this one for you, Tony, to be honest, because you certainly are the expert. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, th this one really caught my eye, and largely because it, it deals with, you know, website redirection and, and just a chaining. I, I think that we are seeing this more and more frequently. It always has, but chaining one issue or one vulnerability with another one to, you know, to really target people in certain ways or, or exploit them. And that's kind of what's happened here. Um, Office 365, a lot of people use it, obviously. Um, one of the bad actors, malicious, we'll just call them malicious, because that's probably the best way to call it, is figured out that, you know, a lot of people get Office 365 emails that tell them that they have a missed message, you know, this missed voice message. And so, and a link, and if you use any systems, you know, you click the link and it go replay your message, kind of like what you get on your phone. Um, so what these guys were doing, or this shouldn't genericize that too much, but what they were doing is, is they figured out that the University of Oxford allowed for their sites to be spoofed just through normal mail configuration issues. I mean, we see that all the time, you know, pretending to be somebody or actually going into their site and, and transmitting emails from them. And that's what happened here is they were able to send emails from the Oxford servers uh, because of some mail configuration issues there and, and, and any number of them. They didn't have a limit even. And what they were doing is they were basically just spamming a whole bunch of people with these messages fairly tailored, uh, not not super tailored, they're not, you know, targeted spear phishing, you know, like we would see like with a whaling effort, but more of just generic phishing and spear phishing with a missed Office 365 message. People would click that, right? And that takes them to, and a lot of times it would take them to like a Samsung server. So you would see the, the and that's what in this case was, it was actually a Samsung.ca server. 
So it all looked good. It was coming from like a legitimate email address. I would get caught by an email filter. It was connecting to Samsung's server to perhaps pick up this message. But the challenge there was is that the Samsung server in question was susceptible to a product vulnerability found in Adobe Campaign. And this is a, an issue that's actually been around since the 2019 timeframe. And it was called the, it's, it's called the Adobe vulnerability because it was first found on Adobe servers. And so this uh, Samsung.ca server, you know, had this vulnerability because they hadn't either hadn't patched or again, misconfiguration issue, whatever. And so it allowed redirection. So you would click on this link, which would maybe take you over to the Samsung CA, but because of the redirection, would actually take you to a, to a, to a hacked or compromised WordPress site, a, a phishing site. And this was a highly obfuscated site. Pull up a screen that looks just like an Office 365 screen. I mean, down to the T's. And actually, it was very well tailored. It actually would pull up an individualized screen. So if you connected to it and somebody else connected to it, you'd actually get almost different pages or, or at least different impressions within the, the compromised WordPress uh, server. And then, you know, then of course, you know, the typical phishing, you know, scenarios, you'd click it, it looks legitimate, you enter your credentials, boom, the bad guy's got your credentials. And, and so that's, you know, that's really what we're seeing, uh, you know, a, a pretty organized campaign. I think Checkpoint is the researcher here. None of the companies mentioned were compromised. That, that's the key thing here. None of them were actually compromised. It's just configuration issues. So, you know, some people may argue that can compromise, but it's not. You know, that we're not talking that somebody actually hacked into these sites, messed up something. They're just using the, the, the either the unpatched or the uh, uh, configuration issues to first off send the emails and then to, uh, to uh, redirect people to the malicious site. Like I said, it's just it's kind of a neat chain of, of events, you know, without having one single compromise. But this, John, is a bag full of fun. All right. I, I just want to break this down slightly. Um, all right. It's coming from a legitimate Oxford server. There's a right. misconfiguration. So if, if they've got SPF and DKIM and DMARC in place, the legitimacy of this is you, you can't defend against it. You, I mean, if it's coming from an Oxford server, it's, it's an Oxford, uh, you know, email. Now you get directed to a legitimate website, samsung.ca, uh, and, you know, this is okay. URL filters aren't going to flag it. It's a legitimate company. And then that's misconfigured, and it redirects you to a WordPress. All the security controls, I can, I can just see it. It's just it's good, it's yeah. good, it's good, it's good, it's good. The redirect, by that time, there's no security controls. All that is is social engineering between the, the bad actor or what, mm -hmm. whatever we want to call these people and the user themselves. And that's, that's really complex, but it's, it's, it's just a solid way of, of being a bad person. This, yeah, is, yeah, this is an interesting yeah. one. I just kind of like, hey, that's a pretty good work there, you know, to, to figure this, how to do this, but yeah. yeah. The different steps, basically, four out of five steps, um, you explained, uh, that tells about the actors, how much effort they put into it to mm -hmm. basically stay under the radar. And uh, to, to drive credibility to their uh, campaign, they, they kind of leveraged University of Oxford as well as uh, Samsung. So these legitimate domains, as Tony said, and most of the security controls, when they're looking at, oh, okay, I look at it, okay, this is valid. 
I'll, I'm letting it through. That's how I think uh, they could able to stay under the radar and maybe reach out to the users and users. When all the security controls gave it a green go ahead, I think uh, there are more chances of when a user to clicking it rather than not clicking it. Absolutely. I think uh, uh, that's the end goal, uh, I guess, in this case. I mean, in, in any spam campaign, that's the end goal to make a user to click on their link. Yep, exactly. So, and and the kind, of the, kind of the neat thing, too, is the page that they, they give you is a, is, is a generated JavaScript. And it's, it's excellent. Mm -hmm. So that even a lot of the controls you'd see in your browser, again, aren't either going to aren't going to detect the maliciousness because it, it, it's actually so obfuscated. Yeah, wow. I think again it ties back to our stories for today. I think it, even this minor flaw or maybe minor vulnerability it gives a huge attack surface if somebody is willing to expose it. I think uh, that, that that would be a deadly combination. That being said, uh, what are the ways, Tony and John, a user can protect themselves? I know even the, our security controls are passed on. Um, I mean, uh, unfortunately, or ultimately, coming up to the end user to be a little bit more vigilant. What do we do as an average user in this scenario? A lot of education, right? Even, even the best phishing email looks a little flaky if you're paying attention for, you know, looking for it. Um, in this case, you you could probably tell if you exactly knew what a real one looked like. But it's 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 just awareness that you know these are these you know they, people are targeted by these things. Now uh, you're 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 spot on. You're absolutely spot on. Um, to add to it. Um, I, I always tell people, is it expected? Um, mm -hmm. You normally get a link for a voicemail. You know, that's an old tactic, but it still works today. So just if it's abnormal, be sus suspicious. I mean, you don't necessarily have to put on your tinfoil hat, but question it, because if you're not used to it, there's maybe something funny about it. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing is I was actually looked at something the other day that was kind of like that is is like if it if it looks wrong it probably is <laughs> you know and, and and regardless of how well people may know little typos little changes do creep in even if they screen captured and and you just kind of look at it sometimes you think oh, that's a little fishy. First of all, uh, we'll be going through the top 10 most probed votes for this week, uh, for the last week ending uh, last night. Um, there, there are not much uh, changes from previous weeks. Uh, usual culprits here. The top one is taken by the Telnet Code 23 TCP, uh, followed by 445, which is for uh, SMB. In fact, actually, it jumped a place from last week. I think this could be due to the reason um, guesstimating here due to the release of SMB bleed, another uh, SMB-based vulnerability uh, looking after, I think, uh, SMB version 3.11 vulnerability. I think maybe that because of that, the probes have increased a little bit. Uh, coming down 80, 1433, 80, 22, 81. But I just want to point out that uh, ending up with the top 10, but the 8089 TCP. The uh, only reason I want to point it out these reason is because it jumped six places from last week at the 16 positions to six. What is 8089? Uh, typically, most oftentimes it's used as alternate HTTP ports, uh, also popularly, I think, are used by Splunk interfaces. 
but most infamously use Bellatza for IoT devices like MicroTik devices, those kind of routers. Uh, but looking at the looking at the trend, it kind of tapering down since two three weeks, uh, and also we have heavily discussed about this port. I haven't included any charts for this week for discussion. It's it's interesting because I, when I see eight oh eight nine, I always think of Splunk. That's that one always, you know. Uh, yeah, that. that yeah, that's most uh, most often used port term, but I think infamously it's been used by lots of uh, IoT devices, specifically microtic based devices. Uh, that's okay. what uh, we found from our uh, analysis. But it can be used by by any number of ports, any number of services. Moving on to the top sources probing for this week. Uh, what does the top sources probing indicate? It's basically the increase in the top sources typically signifies some sort of activity happening on the common backbone. For instance, a new botnet is coming up with a new tactics or tactics, maybe some zero-day activity related to a port is picking up. That will be reflected in most sources probing here. Uh, again, looking at the looking at the chart here on the table. Uh, the top four, five actually seems to be almost constant since the last few weeks. Again, 445 TCP took the first position because of the SMP bleed and uh, various other uh, 445 related uh, exploits. 23 TCP and 22 TCP almost they go hand in hand uh, all the time, uh, all the time by the IoT based partners. If any botnet is out there, the first thing they will do is scanning for open telnet port followed by open SSH ports. That's the reason these ports always try to be competing for the first two few top spots. Uh, 1433 TCP, even uh, uh, this is related to MS SQL, but the looking at the trend, it seems to be almost uh, at the constant levels. 53 UDP is again DNS related, but uh, I think uh, the interest in 53 UDP since few weeks is because of uh, increased, I think, DNS-related amplification as well as some uh, reflection attacks happening out there in the world, out there in the internet world. 8080 TCP, I'm not going to touch about it, but 59 TCP is the one which picked my interest. It, it was, I think it was in the top 20 last week, but it jumped 13 positions to number seven. And one thing with 59 TCP is it's typically associated with virtual network computing, which is a heavily used Linux and Unix word, but also sometimes used in the cross-platform, like a Windows for sharing some sort of remote desktop kind of thing. That's the reason I think it picked my interest and I have a couple of slides depicting what we are seeing, what it could mean to the increased activity. This is the graph as we see from our common backbone, and I'm trying to show in the last six months of data how the trending is happening. Uh, for example, if you see uh, in the last two weeks only, the number of scanners have heavily increased. Uh, if you look at the, I think, uh, even the levels right now we are seeing is much, much higher than what we are seeing typically, I think in February 2020 timeframe. And if you, uh, for example, at the peak here, uh, we are seeing about 4,500 to 5,000 scanners at any point of time in a given time, given time of the hour. What does that mean? I mean, is there any geographical distribution of these scanners coming through? And this is the, 
one of the graphs from one of the automated reports we generate and one of the reports actually when I pick the source IPs from them, they have about at that point of time about 3000 IP addresses. Uh, when I plotted into this geographical map, they're showing most heavily concentrated in um, uh, VZ for uh, Venezuela, US, Netherlands, and CA, I think it's for uh, Cayman Islands, I believe, or uh, uh, one of those islands which exist in the middle of uh, nowhere. Uh, that's interesting. I think uh, typically when when you see something like that in uh, uh, associated with some sort of island, it's uh, definitely related to some nefarious activity. With that information, we kind of looked at our honeypot, honeypot data. Is there anything we can pick it up from there? And looking at the data in honeypot, obviously uh, the number of sources, maybe data we see in honeypot would be much, much smaller compared to our common backbone. So here, uh, I want to drive the point, if we see the graph here, the pie graph here, you can see the distribution of the activity happening on this port 1500 TCP. But 1500 TCP, the agents are maybe what are the, what are the analysis so we are showing it here. It's most often times it's HTTP, about 62% of the time it's HTTP. And RDP, it's rest followed by the RDP for the 30% of the time. And there are some uh, malformed HTTP and VNC is very minimal. This tells me something, even though the port is used for VNC, it's I think uh, it's been used to scanning for RDP based stuff uh, because of the reason HTTP is involved as, uh, as well as RDP. And I'm, I'm, I think uh, looking at some of the PCAPs and a little bit deeper, that kind of tells that even though it, it's VNC port, I think there we are doing RDP requesting in there also some malformed HTTP requests in there. That kind of gives, there's something happening on this port. Um, maybe that's the reason most of these bad actors are trying to scan for any vulnerable devices, maybe uh, responding back on 1500 TCP when, when they want to exploit it. And this is a breakdown of the source IPs as seen from the honey, honeypot data, not from the common backbone. Still, we could kind of extrapolate here. The target, the sources are, I guess, more or less seems to be from the same regions, like Asia Pac, maybe European regions, and also from North, uh, North American region, which we could say we can correlate to US. But by looking at the reports also, I could also see there are lots of scanning activity happening, like there are some known scanners by the research institutes and also the known bad scanners which are trying to scan for these reports. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.